Hello and welcome to the very first episode of VFM, the UK's most interesting pensions podcast. A weekly-ish look at the news and interviews through the lens of value for money into fund contribution pensions. of the internet I am delighted to introduce a man a myth a legend in our industry the best known pensions geek and raconteur he's a DC provocateur and opinionist we have the pleasure of his company and his views for at least half an hour Darren Phil well thank you Nico I never knew you cared so much and thought so highly of me um, I would like to introduce you in similar terms but for once words almost fail me but in all seriousness, it's great to be joined by you, Nico. You're the chap who knows more about pensions investments and black holes, and I think we'd agree the two are related than most in the industry. Who better to chat pensions and value for money with than an astrophysicist turned actuary? If you, Nico, can't solve the conundrum of value for money in pensions, who can? <laughs> well, thank you, Darren. Look, so today's episode uh, is going to be describing why we've set up this podcast, why we want to to investigate value for money, or is it is it value for members? Uh, and, and to introduce our plan for the year. Well, the, 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 thing, the thing about plans, Nico, is that we probably won't keep, keep to it. But we <laughs> hope that you'll come and join us, and maybe even every week for the ride. Um, and actually, I heard a story that value for members came through for a drafting error and just stuck, um, rather than it being value for money. Who knows whether this is just pensions folklore or whether there is any truth to it. Perhaps one of our future esteemed guests might be able to give us some insight into it. We'll, we'll have to find out who can do that for us, Darren. <laughs> I think we will. I think we will. We must need someone from TPR, I think. Um, so, so, Nico, first things first. Um, did you choose the intro music to the podcast? Like, you could have agreed it with me first. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, Chopin's Nocturne, uh, Opus number, uh, Opus 9, number 2, uh, played on Mr John Chalice's wonderful piano down in Clapham. I didn't know that John Pierre played the piano. Uh, not yet. We're trying to encourage him, but no, uh, all the mistakes in it were my own. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they prove we don't have to pay any royalties for it. Oh, gosh, here we go. Showing off already. <laughs> um, I think the first bit of audience participation should be requests for what Nico plays next. So get your request in to vfmpensions at gmail.com. We need to keep you busy somehow, Nico. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but give me a couple of years per request, please. And uh, really helpful if I know it already. Uh, but while you're thinking about those, uh, let's turn to talking about our general plan for the show. So why on earth are we doing a podcast on value for money? Well, look, I think that delivering better value for uh, better for members of DC schemes is absolutely crucial. And better pensions must come from more contributions coming in, sure, but it has to mean more coming from those contributions in terms of returns and in some way in terms of service. The pensions apartheid in this country is too stark otherwise between those with protected defined benefit pensions and those with meagre and risky DC pots. So VFM, value for money, 
uh, that's the term the industry has been really having in its mouth for years now. But it's always felt pretty meaningless to me, and, and I'm sure to a number of you. What on earth does value for money actually mean? And who really cares about it? I want us to go and speak to the people in our industry who can tell us why VFM matters and why it matters to them. Uh, thanks, Nico. And, and I think I'd 100% agree with that. I think um, VFM, you know, gets talked about a lot in pension circles, um, but we still struggle to define it. And I think, you know, over the next couple of years, it's a, it's a nut that we're going to have to crack. Um, certainly, I'd 100% agree that good DC outcomes rely first and foremost on getting money in through employer and employee contributions. You know, there is a reason why um, defined benefit uh, pensions are a lot you know, to deliver much better outcomes than defined contribution pensions, you know, just look at the contributions that are going in, um, never mind the sort of guarantees. And I think there's definitely a discussion that I'd like to pick up as part of this as the best way of how we can increase contributions into DC, whether through inertia or engagement. And those who know me well will know that I'm firmly in the camp of the former. But what do providers do with those contributions once they're in? How do we maximise outcomes of people? And for me, that comes down to value for money. I'm worried, um, and a lot of um, industry commentators will pick up on this, that we have moved into a world that we have where we have a fixation on cost alone. And although you know we often talk about value over cost, um, we don't practice what we preach. And I know from experience that a basis point here or there can make a huge purchase, uh, a huge difference to the purchasing decision of an employer. So I'd like to use these podcasts to get under the skin of what really drives value and how we can, as an industry, change the dynamics so we really deliver for the people that will count the members. Great. Look, so we're going to do this with a series of interviews with people around the industry to see what value for money means to them, but also, I think, to understand why that's important to them, so how their views evolved over time. We'll try to wrap that up in half an hour a week, but we'll have to see how we go on that. I suspect a number of our interviews are simply going to be too interesting, you know, to us to stop at any artificial time. So I hope you find them as interesting. And it may mean that we have to put out some supplemental episodes each week uh, to carry the full capture, uh, capture the full content of an interview. Uh, it just depends on how we're doing. Ha. I think, um, you know, we'll do very well to stick to time, Nico, especially given how much you have it on. Um, <laughs> but for me, um, speaking to people across the industry and actually potentially outside the industry as well will be interesting. And I, I want to use these podcasts to not just pick up on the hard side of VFM in terms of measurement and metrics, but also on the softer side in terms of how decisions get made and the importance of governance in delivering value for money. Hopefully we'll build a consensus over time through our chats, but I think we'll certainly get some polarised and differing views, which can only be a good thing in helping to shape the debate. Absolutely. Um, so look, we're, we're obviously new to this and uh, we'll be finding our feet on how to podcast for a few episodes, um, if not entire time that we're doing this. So we hope we can be interesting for you too. But Darren, look, I think we need to start with each other here. Um, Let's do a quick interview. What do you think value for money is in DC pensions? Well, if I had the answer to that, Nico, I'd probably <laughs> be sitting down in uh, the pensions regulator or the FCA rather than, um, you know, um, plumbing my um, wares as a consultant. Um, but I think it's a, it's a question that has vexed the industry, as we've already said, for, for quite a while now. 
And um, I think there's there's a number of different ways of sort of looking at this. Um, you, you know, looking at hard measurement, for me, it's about actual outcomes in terms of how do you maximise the, the pounds um, that people get um, from their investments. So I think, you know, having a common um, way of measuring um, investment returns and performance um, that is comparable across providers over time is really, really important. Um, there's obviously debates to be had about that. Um, and also, it's not just about return. A lot of talk, quite rightly, is about impact investing and you know doing the right thing in terms of investments and the good that investments can do from a societal perspective. So, you know, for me, it's not just about the hard numbers; it's about the impact that the, the investments are having over time as well. Mm. Um, so, I think there's there's certainly work to do around that, and there's some good thinking um, going on as well. But it's not just thinking that needs to be adopted by the industry. Um, because we can sort of talk in technical terms on this we you know for me I keep coming back to the purchaser of this which is the employer and quite often it's much easier for the employer to justify picking a pension whereby um, you know the cost is lower for members and you can see you can see why that is quite attractive to them Um, and that's much easier to explain than um, some you know rather more cloudy concepts around future investment returns and the impact that investments are having on the planet. So I think that, you know, there's a there's definitely a discussion and debate to be had around that. Um, also, I think that, you know, governance comes into this as well. I mentioned earlier around the fact that, you know, there is a debate to be had around inertia versus engagement. And I think, you know, inertia has got to be, um, you know, enhanced and utilised more to get people better outcomes but we all know that the right engagement at the right time can lead to better outcomes for people and that requires investment in platforms in technology in better communications and I think that you know then that raises questions questions around governance and and how best to help and support members make the most of their money so we can't just look at the hard metrics when it comes to value for money we need to look at some of the stuff around service provision administration good comms and helping people to make decisions which is obviously a key requirement for people to get good outcomes within defined contribution yeah so so uh, that that's i I agree um i i I think we're going to get very rapidly to the nub of the pensions problem as opposed to other consumer decisions right because like fundamentally the mind of let's call it the fca but really the world at large sits there and says when i go to supermarkets i understand very rapidly whether i make good value decisions for the for the money i spent in lidl and for the money i spent in fordham and mason right i can go and i can buy the same bottle of heinz ketchup or maybe not heinz and little i i don't know uh but other brands are available well no we're not the big you see, mate, you know, if Heinz want to come and get sponsored uh, on this show, you know, get, 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 get writing. But look, so, so I can go, um, particularly Fortnum's, mate, if uh, <laughs> get in touch. Um, but look, you so, just want a free hamper. I'd love a free hamper. That'd be brilliant. Um, and um, yeah, look, so, so, so I, can, I can go and buy uh, a generic ketchup in one place and like an ultra high cost ketchup in another place. And I can go home and I can put them on my chips and I can decide whether it was worth the money or not, or whether it was worth the savings or not. But in pensions, I've got 50 years, maybe even longer to get that feedback, right? Now, the core of 
why we have an inertial process is because we know that humans are, are terrible in front of that 50-year cycle, that delayed gratification cycle. We can't say, is it a good thing for you to put money into a pension and then expect them to put money into a pension to save for that 70-year-old Nico, right? That just doesn't resonate with people. It's, it's why we have auto-enrollment. Right, 100%. So, so how can we have a view that value for money is a whole bunch of, of like measures, hard measures, when we're not measuring the, that 50 year journey, how can we, how can we have a view that we're comparing like cheap and cheerful Lidl with, you know, gorgeously expensive decadent Fortnum and Mason, right? I, it, it, our, our entire kind of framing of this problem for me is just off base. So we have to put the role of the trustee, you talked about governance and decision-making, we have to put those guys in the front and centre of essentially the psychology here, right? The behavioural finance of taking uh, that kind of retail immediate gratification consumer and translating that into the 50, 60 year journey of pensions. That for me is the big, big problem here. And there's loads of inputs we can talk about in terms of like whether that governance is doing a good job or not. But like ultimately, how on earth do we measure the success of that governance, the, the progress along that journey to retire when we are what this year will be coming up to the 11th anniversary of the yeah. first people auto enrolled. You know, if you were 22, you'll be 33 now. You're nowhere near retirement. There's absolutely no way you can have the kind of feedback on whether they were successful or not. I mean, it's just right. So, so we're and clutching at straws a lot. And, and a lot of people have, um, you know, lots of small pension pots um, dotted around a number of different providers as well. Mm. So that makes it even more difficult, not not just thinking about the time frame, but just thinking about the, um, you know, the, 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 the spread of these across providers as well, which I know is, is, is trying to be sorted. But again, that's a key part of the, 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 the conundrum that needs solving in this as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So look, uh, you know, for me, I think both you and I are probably on one side of the debate in terms of like defaults, and uh, like enrollment and contribution levels and like the amount of choice. I think that right at its heart, that's the really interesting value for money debate. How much- No, I was gonna say, I was yeah, gonna interject because I think your, your framing of this is, is, is absolutely spot on. But how much do you think the FCA and the pensions regulator actually get this? Because mm. they talk a lot about, um, you know, value for money. Um, and we've had consultations, and I think um, if I'm if I'm right, we're expecting a consultation sometime this year. Um, but you know, but for me, it's all about the framing, um, because if you don't get the framing right, and it's very different framing from a TPR perspective or an occupational pensions perspective um, to a retail um, product perspective, if you don't get the framing right, then actually we're not going to get the right answer, are we? No, no, it looks spot on. I mean, I think. So A, uh, we were owed a consultation at the end of last year, right? So, so there was meant to be a value for money consultation in December. They promised that in May. Um, who knows? Who knows what the policy uh, priorities are now here? You know, we might be doing this podcast for the next five years and never get this consultation out, right? Um, and so then, but like, you, you, for me, like you have the, the consensus over inertia in like the the 2008 pensions act and the pensions yep. commission that came before it and then that was torn up with george osborne and freedom of choice he went from we had this background where both parties understood you know humans are fallible 
um, that don't make very good decisions in front of complex environments to all of a sudden freedom and choice everybody should have the single most complex thing with no training in front of them like on the day they retire and that is just the retail uh you know the the the, the asterisks asterisks you need an advisor it's complex you've you've got lots of money haven't you and therefore you've got lots of choice you know that that is the worldview of the fca and it's really really difficult to put those worlds together that is the fundamental challenge of pensions um and we yeah, lost that consensus sort of dwp and the pensions regulator on one side and um, hm treasury and fca on the other and obviously policy responsibility mm. is split across mm. those two departments um, and that does cause tensions and, you know, the manifestation of freedom and choice, you know, um, it really came out, it, it, it really came out through that. And I think that, you know, we, we need to sort of, as well as looking at measuring some of this stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, we need to also think about the, the policy and regulatory architecture as well um, to drive better outcomes. Because, yeah. you know, for most people, or for pretty much everyone, I'd, I'd bet, people don't realise whether they're in a contract based scheme or a or a, a, a master trust or occupational based scheme, you know, if they've been auto enrolled, they just know that they're saving towards their future, you know, and, and they don't even know whether they're saving mm. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so look, from a policy perspective, I would say that the natural instinct of the Labour Party, who, you know, from a, a, as a gambling, as a gambler, I think you'd be saying are going to be in charge of they have their, their hand on the pensions tiller in 2024 onwards or something like that. Um, you know, making a prediction now at the beginning of January 23. Well, not that but, brave, actually. Not that brave, actually. Yeah, well, not that brave now, but possibly <laughs> stupid in future, right? So, um, <laughs> not for the first time, Darren. Uh, so, so, but like the natural instinct of the Labour Party is paternalism. And that means less choice, more compulsion. Now, politically, that's very hard. People don't like stealth taxes, right? But the natural choice, the natural kind of instincts of the of the uh, the Conservative Party is freedom and choice. It's people just need education and they need better information and more choices. And that will enable them to find from a huger and ever growing list of complex choices, the spot on one that matches their characteristics, that their own kind of self research or their advisor has helped them to get to. So you, you, you have those two tensions. And I think really for the last... 12 years i mean steve webb sat somewhere in the middle and and kind of softened some of the blows but then was totally undermined by freedom and choice but really you've seen us uh over the last 10 years have uh you know a a, a kind of uh, oh sorry the last eight years since freedom and choice a, a kind of tory oversight of those kind of pensions libertarian paternalistic views which has led to massive disclosure right of course, you need pension schemes to kind of push out more data um, and report on transaction costs and TCFD and, 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 right? Because there is an educated consumer out there who is going to be reading all of that material, thinking deeply about it and making wise choices. So, yeah, this framing, I think, is, is right at the heart of pensions design. And I, I think freedom and choice is, uh, sorry, value for money is a great way for us to go and investigate that stuff all, all good um, points Nico. and i think um you know i always hark back to the pensions commission um because it it, it did mm. some great work you know um i don't know I, I i've had the pleasure of reading the documents and I, I i often hark back to the documents because you know the evidence base that they built up was was monumental 
Um, but the thing about the Pensions Commission, um, I think that really, really uh, made the real difference was the development of that consensus. And, and given what you've sort of said with the um, with regard to the different sort of beliefs and positioning of the politicians and the policy, I think that, you know, having that consensus, because pensions for the, is for the long term, um, is really, really important. We can't be chopping and changing the system every few years in line with political cycles mm. because, you know, that just adds cost into the system, which has impacts on value for money. But importantly, it just means that providers and people can't plan and they just don't know the the, the, the regulatory and, and policy world with which they're trying to deliver good outcomes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to make one last point on that kind of psychology thing, which is that I, I think our industry really struggles to think about the default because it's it is so unnatural for an investment oriented bunch of people to think about managing their own personal finances yeah. by giving up control. Yeah, and look, I, so I, I was thinking about this this uh, really good book that I read when I was uh, kind of researching behavioural finance. It's called The Tyranny of Choice. I think it's um, Richard Stephen Schwartz. And um, yeah, he talks about different modes of decision making. So there are places where we, we optimise, which means that we try and find the very best solution available to us. And I think some people are like this with like mobile phones. We, we're all like this somewhere in our, our lives. So let's talk about mobile phones. You know, we go and we have to go to the phone shop and to look through every single mobile phone and compare every single set of features to find the very best for us. And then there are other parts in our lives where we have this other decision making mode, which is called satisficing, which is basically we list out a set of minimum criteria we probably have some sort of budget. And as soon as we have a product in front of us that meets those minimum criteria and we can afford, we buy. So like there are definitely, I've, I hope everybody in their life use satisficing as a decision-making methodology somewhere. And you, you, we just need to build more empathy with the satisficing strategy because it simplifies life. And if you don't care about something enough, it's a great way to make decisions. So like, I, I think our industry needs to kind of empathise with that side of it. Yeah, and it's a, it's a sort of a natural sort of consequence of that is that if you if you are harnessing inertia and if you are harnessing the power of defaults all the time, then you can't optimise everything to the nth degree for everyone all of the time. And sometimes you just have to be satisfied by, you know, doing something middle of the road um, that doesn't do any harm, but is, you know, uh, fit for purpose for the vast majority of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I I just throw in hubris here, which is, you know, the future is not written. And that kind of time horizon piece, we just don't know what the best option for anyone is. You know, I might, I might have infinite data on you, Darren, and still be wrong. Because, you know, Putin invades Ukraine, and the, the everything goes thrown out the window. So we do need a bit of, like, you know, hedging our bets here, diversification of, of the kind of futures we're expecting. All good points, Nico, all good points. Well, We've been going about um, just over 20 minutes um, so far, um, and we've we've started the debate and the discussion on value for money, and we're going to hear um, lots of um, interesting stuff from the guests that we've got lined up, more on that later, um, over the coming weeks and months. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to do with this podcast, Nico, was um, look at what's in the news, 
Um, mm. And, you know, not just sort of look long term and theoretically about value for money, but also just sort of pick up some of the stuff that, um, you know, is, is, is hitting the pensions and wider press at the moment. So perhaps we should sort of spend the next five, 10 minutes or so just focusing on that uh, before we wrap up. Absolutely. So um, uh, we're obviously at the start of 2023. Happy New Year, by the way, and Happy New Year. To, happy New happy Year. Year to our listeners. We should have done that at the start, but hey, you know, better late than better late than never. <laughs> it was Happy New Podcast. Happy New, at happy that new stage. Podcast, indeed, indeed. Um, there's there's obviously been um, you know all the all the pensions press and to some extent the advisor press as well that have done their sort of New Year. Um, look forward pieces you know what can what can we expect um, in 2023 um, so the, the, one of the questions I was going to ask you Nico was um, you know what are you expecting um, and what do you think the hot topics for 2023 will be and what should we look out for yeah look I mean so um, I think from a policy perspective and from a regulatory perspective there will still be a lot of focus on liquid assets um, I've believe we'll have a couple of managers announcing um, their first application and then uh, launching of uh, LTAFs. Um, you know, interesting to see whether they're going to be, whether the ambitions that the government had for them are going to be fulfilled, yeah. but I think there'll be a few. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, probably the reality of the difficulty of putting illiquid assets into such a cost sensitive environment and you know we're going to be talking the rest of the year about value for money and, and what it means uh, but i think illiquid assets are a great place to discuss that right yeah. so um if if cost is number one and ltafs are expensive then however valuable you think that money is then you know it's just not going to land so i i think there's a battle line that's going to be drawn up between these great illiquid products the, the rest of the institutional market would cut their throats to get priced at that that way um, with no take up in DC. Um, well, that's a, but, that's the problem, isn't it? Because, you know, mm. ultimately, you know, people talk about the charge cap and whether we need to include performance fees within the charge cap or remove them or whatever. But for me, a lot of this is a red herring um, because, you know, most workplace pensions are priced way, way, way below the charge cap. Um, and it's a it's an incredibly competitive market out there, uh, which, as we were saying earlier, is f predominantly focused on price. And unless we can really start um, demonstrating the value um, of these types of assets, which will cost more, uh, but the value of their assets to the to the purchaser, to the buyer, which is the often the employer, um, we're going to have an uphill struggle. So I think mm -hmm. um, you know we need the government to sort of and, and 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 the industry actually just to take take a step back. And think, you know, one or two policy initiatives here at the margin aren't going to fundamentally solve this problem. We need to sort of change the mindset within DC, um, and that's going to be a long burn. Yeah, yeah. And look, we've both spoken about our kind of wish list for what to do, and and somewhere in there has to be separating investment costs from the other costs of of, of pensions. Definitely, hundred percent. You know. How else do you prove to someone who works in a corner shop that three basis points is, is you know, a very small budget and someone who works for, uh, you know, a huge pension, a huge company with a huge pension that, that, that they've got 40 basis points of investment, right? I mean, that, that differential is really stark. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and and in this world where we've 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 had quantitative easing, you know, it's it's, it's kind of finished now. Uh, where Putin can create a, uh, a fossil fuel, a hydrocarbon crisis, you know, I I don't know that that three basis point budget is gonna is gonna do it. 
Uh, all good points, Nico. All good points, and um, I'm really interested in the LTAF stuff actually. And um, we should certainly, um, you know, if you, you mentioned, I think that um, a couple of asset managers are about to launch. Uh, we should definitely get one of them on to talk about, um, you mm. know, uh, what their thinking is, and um, you know, what some of the barriers and challenges were in, in 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 developing such a fund. And I think it'll be really interesting to see whether these funds actually get traction or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... And like crossing on to my maybe my second point, I, I, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen on kind of ESG and sustainability. Um, and the, the segue there is that I think some of these LTAFs are going to be kind of sustainability oriented. So I think we're going to see some uh, kind of sustainable, some impact kind of LTAFs for DC where, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we're, we're going to see a bit more focus on those kind of climate change assets, uh, potentially kind of social housing and the traction that those those get in the market with members. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And um, I'm sure the whole, well, you know, given your interests and my interests and, and given that it's such a hot topic, the whole sort of climate debate and impact debate will, will no doubt feature in a lot of our discussions over the over the coming weeks and months. Um, mm. You know, one of the things I'm particularly interested in is like, you know, is 2023 going to be the year of the pensions dashboard? You know, it's something we've been talking about for, for it seems like an absolute age now. Um, but it's the year that, you know, uh, providers will have to start sort of connecting in earnest. And while I don't think we'll necessarily have live dashboards this year, um, certainly not, um, you know, out to the mass market. You know, it feels like, you know, we're going to make some real, real progress there. And I think that, you know, that will start really bringing you know, pensions to, to life for people, I think. Um, and just coming back to that theme that we were talking about earlier, you know, what does it mean for you to see, you know, on your phone next to your bank account, the value of your, your DC pension pot? Does that does that actually give you the right stimulus to, to do the kind of actions that are going to improve the value of your retirement income? Um, well, I think that's going to be fascinating. It's going to, it's going to be fascinating. And I think... Um, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of the pensions dashboard. I think you know it helps drag pensions into the uh, in, in, into the modern era, and, and it's, it's it's not before its time. Um, but the behavioural responses to the dashboard are going to be really interesting to observe. And I think the industry's got one chance to get this right. It needs to get its data mm. in order, which again is part of the value for money equation. How can you deliver value if um, providers aren't holding good enough data and if they can't use that um, to communicate effectively with members? So again, another topic that you know we'll we'll certainly pick up. And Darren, look, so I, I've lost track a little bit of dashboards, um, and I know I should probably pay better attention. But wh when am I going to have a dashboard to look at? I think um, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, we know that there will be a point which is called the dashboard available point uh, that the industry will be put on notice for uh, six months before it actually goes live. Um, I think there'll be lots and lots of testing before it actually goes live. So we'll have phases of what they might call something like a public beta where it's sort of opened up in a, in a limited way. But I think, um, you know, with a fair wind, um, you'll probably be able to have some form of dashboard in 2024. You know, I don't want to make the political um, predictions that you were making earlier, Nico. I'm not. I don't want to be that silly. Um, but you know, I, I I can see dashboards actually, you know, being a thing in in people's minds in at some point in 2024. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to finding out what's happened to my lost pensions because I'm sure, like, 
like many people, you know, I, I, I kind of preach, uh, guys, consolidate your pensions. And then there's some old ones out there that I really need to track down. Yeah, um, well, well, maybe you can tell us, well, maybe we can plot your journey on um, how, how, you, how you go about consolidating your pension. And we can use that yeah, as a bit of okay. a case study. So, you know, get cracking. Well, well look, so um, because it's my own personal finance, I can disclose. But look, I've, I've, been, the, I've been designing, I think I've designed... Uh, three of the defaults that I've invested in. So I have this massive, <laughs> massive conflict of interest as to whether I kind of axe any of my past work. Um, <laughs> so, one. yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, it's a kind of delightful challenge. Uh, but obviously, the, the, the longer ago I designed the thing, the more I regret the fact that nobody's changed it since. That's the, that's the, the worst part of being a DC member or like an, an investment person in DC. Well, but let's, let's move off my, uh, my money. Yeah, but, that's, um, that, but that's, that's an insightful point. And that's a point that we should definitely pick up on um, in a future episode, actually, because you know, the world has changed. Um, the um, suite of investment projects has changed. Um, mm. you know, um, just being stuck in the same old thing over time you know, that raises quite big governance questions, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting is, is look, has the, you know, if I talk about, like, I worked at Barclays up until the end of 2011, you know, has the world of investment really kind of raced past what I would have put in, in like the default in 2010, in defined contribution? No, it hasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, the WTW life sites, uh, default that I worked on, uh, you know, is more expensive. Um, it, it hopefully is kept up to date by, you know, one of the leading consultants who has member research. Um, and then the people's pension, you know, it's got the scale and, and, it, and it can spend its budget uh, wisely. And, I, I, you know, I know the team and, and I think it's still pretty fresh in terms of, um, you know, my influence on that design. So, it's it's we maybe that's an episode darren we can go through those three defaults as a as a member um and and kind of see uh where you would invest right? yeah no, that's a good that's a good one maybe we could do a, a, a twitter poll or something like that um to choose the, the <laughs> funds that you would want to be in you know, if, if 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 nico was designing one for you um I think, <laughs> I, I, i'm i'm really conscious of time nico and um i don't mm. think we should overrun too much with our first podcast um i think one thing that we we will we'll come back to uh things like the pensions attention campaign there was a really interesting piece by ros altman around better defaults i think that was in the news um and we should definitely sort of focus on defaults when it comes to value for money um and we should sort of make sure we sort of pick up on that um, we also need to sort of, you know, um, understand, going back to your point earlier about the sort of political preferences. Uh, we've obviously mm. got a new pensions minister after, you know, um, I think Guy Opperman being the, the longest serving pensions minister ever um, after Steve Webb. And I think, you know, the industry was very grateful to Guy and to Steve uh, for their longevity in post because it's that stability in pensions that's really important. But it'll be really interesting to to hear what Laura has to say, Laura Trott, the new uh, pensions minister, about um, you know where where she sits in the default versus engagement debate and what some of her priorities are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I took a look at her website last night to try and understand, you know, how many times she she'd looked at pensions in her um, her parliamentary career before she became a minister. Hmm. Um, and then amazingly, she was on Channel 4 News last night uh, discussing Richie Sunak's speech. So, yeah, we'd love to have Laura on the show. Um, we, uh, Darren, I, I worked out that we can we can email her uh, through her website. I'm sure we'll, we'll have other links to her as well. But uh, yeah, if, if Laura, if you're listening, 
please email us on uh, vfmpensions at gmail. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you on. Excellent. Um, I'll leave that one for you to deliver, Nico. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, um, Lou will take up our offer. Um, so, um, Nico, um, we've got another one of these plans next week. Um, mm. do, you, do you want to tell us a bit about what, we, what, what, what what's what's upcoming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, we're delighted next week to have uh, David Butcher. So he is a trustee at the People's Pension and at Scottish Widows, uh, amongst a number of other roles. And he's been in the industry for, for a number of years. Uh, but why we wanted to interview him, he's got like a really interesting perspective on decision making in boardrooms, which which comes from his own kind of personal story. So you know I, I i'm fascinated to talk to him so we've got him we've got him scheduled for next week perfect that's um that's that's brilliant and um we've also got the return of one of the big beasts in the pensions industry um and i think in early february so a little way off yet um we've got the return of greg mcclymont uh former um shadow pensions minister um and also i think we've got david farrer um ex of dwp lined up as well um we've got many more exciting um guests to come and, and just a bit of a plug, you know, if you'd like to come and chat to Nico and I, um, if you'd like to appear on the show, please drop us a line at vfmpensions at gmail.com and we'll, we'll certainly, um, you know, get in contact. So we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our podcast now. Um, and although we're doing this first podcast remotely, um, when we have guests, we're, we're going to try and do them in person um, and just want to put on record our, our thanks for the team at DG Publishing uh, for providing us with our very own pod. Um, to do the recordings yeah it's our our own broadcasting house on the banks of the Thames um, so unfortunately uh, we were unable to come uh, because of the train strikes but we want these to be in person uh, because we can go to the pub afterwards don't that's we? a very very good shout Nico and um, while we're talking about DG Publishing um, they run lots of really really good conferences um, so you should definitely take a look at their website dgpublishing.com and see what they're putting on throughout the year. Loads of good events. Um, two I particularly wanted to highlight is the Impact and Responsible Investment Summit that they're taking that takes place on the 23rd of March and the DC Strategic Summit on the 15th of May. So take a look at their website and see if you want to go along. Well, look, so I hope you enjoyed our first go at podcasting. I know I did. Um, so please subscribe on your uh, podcast listening device well, what, you, what do you even call those things please subscribe to join <laughs> us again next week uh, and follow us on Twitter we've got a Twitter account have. Uh, which is at VFM pensions uh, and as if you'd like to be on the show please let us know VFM pensions at gmail.com and, and also um, going back to where we started our conversation if you'd like to if you'd like Nico to learn a new tune email us there as well until next time goodbye Goodbye.